0: All right, guys, part two of Faith and Works today. So we're going to be in James chapter two, um, all the way back and up toward the end of uh, chapter two. Um, If you were here last week, you know that we started on a section that's oftentimes controversial. Um, But I think as we look, we found, uh, as we look at the plain wording and what's actually being said by James, that it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be something that's, Controversial. It doesn't have to be something that's contradictory. Uh, It can actually be something that's complementary to the subject of faith and the subject of works. And so, last week we kind of talked about uh, the identification of faith, what it is, what what that component is that James is speaking to, which is what he's against, what he's warning against, uh, what he wants these guys to know and want us to know is that uh, spoken faith without anything that follows, is dead. It's that simple. There's a difference between profession and possession of faith um, of God in our lives. And so this week, he's gonna go into a couple examples of that, which is where we will pick up. But let's just go ahead and read the whole text again for the sake of some context. Um, is this Does this sound crazy to you? Before I get going, is my voice just sounding nuts right now? Like Because I heard last week was was a little weird, so we good? All right. You know what, Tim? All right. Chapter 2, book of James, verse 14. We'll go ahead and read to the end. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, and this is the word that allows us to understand everything else that follows, that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Do you want to be shown, and this is where we're going to pick up today, 20? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, verse 26, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so here in uh, verse 20, he starts in on examples. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith is apart from, so he's like starting to call these guys names now right? Uh, James is like, this is one of the things with James that always looks kind of funny, is he almost seems like he can be a little bit hostile. But he's actually not really calling them uh, a name. Foolish just means empty. So he's not, it's not like he's saying, you stupid people. Uh, he's just saying, you empty people, which actually may be like saying you stupid people? I don't know. Maybe it's the same thing. Uh, but James is throwing that, that down. And, and, and he says, you foolish person, which uh, sounds singular, but I think we, 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 there's no reason for us to think that he's zeroing one person out, that he has his mind on one person in that congregation. It's just, uh, it's just a way to use the language. Uh, he's probably wanting each individual person that's hearing this letter being read right now to um, simply appropriate it to themselves, to consider themselves, to examine themselves in light of what he's talking about. And so uh, I believe uh, that's all that he's, he's doing there. And and then he says, um, faith apart from works is useless. And, and, and useless, we all know what that means, right? It means that it does no good. Again, if, if we're talking about professing only or mouthing only or vocalizing something only agreeing with something only but none of that ever works itself flows itself out of our lives it is what it is useless it doesn't help us any it doesn't help anyone around us any and that's all he's saying he's saying that 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 kind of faith alone is idle like a car almost right you can have a car that's sitting there idling but it ain't moving It ain't going anywhere and it's the same type of idea what good is that car if you don't actually drive it if it doesn't actually take you from point a to point b same type of concept here Um, and then and then i want you to consider this um if if there is something If you're really trying to drive something home to somebody, if you're trying hard to convince them of of something that they may not be getting, um, one of your best tactics is to take one of their heroes, one of the people that they look up to, as an example of what you're talking about. It's called manipulation. And um, and, and, I mean, after all, everyone wants to be like their hero, right? Uh, We all want to be like the people that we look up to. And so James does this. He busts out the Abraham card. And some of you are going to say, yeah, but he also busts out the Rahab card. Um, And never mind that. Uh, He he busts out the Abraham one first, okay? Um, And actually, it's interesting that out of all of the the people and all the examples in the scriptures that James could have chose from, it's interesting that he chooses these two characters together and these two examples together. Um, one which totally, they, look, they totally look up to and memorialize and one which they don't so much. Um, and why? I was sitting there thinking to myself about this. Why would he pull these two and, and stick them together? And, and I believe it's intentional to show them that it doesn't matter what kind of person by worldly standards holds faith and works. But what matters is that at the end of the day, our faith holds works. You following me? That faith and works are possessed is what what matters. And that they could be possessed by the grace of God. Anybody, any kind of person can receive the gift of God, which is his son. Praise God, right, Tim? Like, that's the only reason I'm here and most of you know you're here, is, is that it's a gift of God to us. And a lot of us weren't smart, a lot of us weren't wise, a lot of us weren't prominent people in the world like it talks about in 1 Corinthians, but, um, but praise God that, that in his power and his might and his grace and his gifting, we're able to possess godliness by faith that produced works. Anybody. That's one of the coolest things, isn't it? When, when people that knew you pre-Jesus see you post-Jesus, Right? Like, more times than not, those people see something that they never, ever thought they would see. And what's your answer? Yeah, I've been working really hard at this. No, your answer is, it's Christ in me. Christ in me is, is, is bringing things out of me, which is really what, what James is contending for here, you know? So, uh, it's kind of neat that he uses uh, both these examples, uh, but James begins here with the example of Abraham, and not just any example, right? But... Um, because Abraham has a huge catalog. There's like a lot of stuff you can go back and, and point out to say, oh, there's faith and there's faith and there's faith and there's faith. But, but what James actually chooses is like the coup de grace, the granddaddy of examples, probably in the entire Bible, not just in the life of Abraham. And that's the infamous offering of Isaac. And uh, we see that in verses 21, 22, 23. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac? On the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. That says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. So we all know what happens here, right? This is part of the reason why um, non-believers don't like the Bible. It's part of the reason why they have a problem with God. And they have a problem with the Bible. Is because of things like this in the Bible. Like God would ever ask a man to take his son, his only son, up a mountain and sacrifice him. Like what kind of sick God would do that? And, and what kind of sick father would actually say, all right, and pack up his son and pack up a bunch of kindling and take him up the mountain and, um, and actually put him on that altar and lift the sword against him? It's nuts. Unless you know the rest of the story. We have to know the rest of the story, which is that a sacrifice of a human being didn't go on that day, but a couple thousand years later, a father would offer his son on that same hill, hillside, for the sins of the world, his only son, right? And here's the thing, is that Abraham knew that. Did you know that? Did you know that Abraham knew that God God wouldn't take Isaac that day? Or that if he did take Isaac, that he would give him back? Because the writer uh, of the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11 that that Isaac knew that even if God took, or Abraham knew that even if uh, God took Isaac that day, that he would resurrect him back to life, which actually happened a couple thousand years ago, Between a father and a son that was sacrificed on that hill, resurrected. And how did he know that? Here's why. Because a promise was made to Abraham that through his son, his only son, his real son, which is Isaac, the stars in the heavens, as many as you can count, as many as you can see, that's how much his offspring will be. See, there was faith there already. Abraham believed God that that Isaac, no matter what, would go on to produce an offspring as numerous as the stars. And that's why that man was able to walk up the mountain that day with his son and a bundle of kindling, is because he knew either way, God promised, and his promises are so. Hey, pretty cool, huh? Um... Genesis 15 proves this not that it really needs to be uh, proved to you uh, at this point but if you go to Genesis 15:6 uh we actually see um, we see this it says and he Abraham believed the Lord uh, this is after God came took him outside said look at the stars this is how how much the offspring will be of your son Isaac and he and and he lived uh, he the Lord counted it to him Abraham as righteousness Abraham didn't do anything at that moment that the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. There was no works coming out of him. In fact, when was Abraham justified or declared righteous by God? Genesis 15, 6. We just saw it, right? Long before Abraham ever gave birth to Isaac, not that he did, but you know what I mean, uh, and uh, ever took that son up the mountain, which is what James is referring to as a work that justified him. He was justified before that by faith, long before Isaac ever existed. So, uh, pretty interesting stuff. Um, By faith, apart from any work, Abraham believed God. And here's the deal in this, guys Um, our works do not and never can produce faith. We all agree? You're like, no, because I'm looking ahead at 24. Just listen what's being said right now. Our faith can and will, uh, our, our, our works do not and never can produce faith, but our faith can and will produce works if it is real. Now, let's go ahead and, and take a, a peek here at, at 24 um, because it's, uh, again, if you read your Bible... By isolating Scriptures, I guarantee you as many times as you come up with something that's true, biblically true and intended, you will also come up with things that are false and erroneous. That's why the Bible isn't made up of one Scripture. It's made up of many Scriptures that when put together and read together, give us truth. Okay? Um, having said that, context matters. And again, what's the context of this passage? It's not faith verse works as if they're against each other. It's faith is the subject, and it's a faith that is an active faith, not a passive faith. So it's, it's not about lip service. That's the whole thing that, that James is arguing for here and, um, and speaking to. So verse 24, um, he, he goes on to say, you see that a person is justified by works and, and not Uh, by faith alone and I and I think we need to speak a little bit to that word justified because it's easy uh, like I said uh, for us to see that word and go James must be using it the same way that Paul did must be speaking of the same thing that Paul was speaking of in the book of uh, Galatians right but just like many words in the English the Greek also has words that that that's meaning is determined by its usage its context And if we don't acknowledge this reality, especially in a case like this, we're going to have a serious problem trusting our Bibles because there are many then blatant contradictions leading to error. Here's the difference, and I want you, because we can actually spend weeks on this. So I'm going to break it down. You're going to have to trust me, and you're going to have to go, uh, you know, do your homework. Paul uses the word justified in places like Galatians, Romans, in the sense of a permanent positional state before God. James uses the word justified in the sense of an active confirmation or proving of that faith. These are two different things. So our faith alone justifies us before God, right? And then the works that flow out of us justify the kind of faith we have. Does that make sense? right. You guys are with me? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You guys all know this one. For by grace you have been saved, which means justified, redeemed, made righteous through what? Faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that none of us can stand in the spotlight of our salvation and our justification, which we can do if it starts with our works, right? Right? It's so that none of us can stand before God and say, I did this. I guarantee you, when, 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 when the judgment goes down and the rolls are called and every individual stands before the Almighty God, there won't be one person uttering this. There won't be anybody who's accepted into heaven that will stand there and say, I did this because their works produced it, because I was justified by my works and what I did. Now, we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, and if that's real, we get works with it. James isn't disagreeing with the rest of Scripture. He's actually protecting the reality that the faith that God gift, gifts us with will prove itself out, just like it did with Abraham. He moves next into uh, uh, Rahab, verse 25. Uh, Which says, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? If you don't know the story, here's the Reader's Reader's Digest version. You can find it in Joshua chapter 1, chapter 2. where you have uh, Moses finally dies, he finally passes away, because remember they couldn't go and possess the land of promise until he passed away because he got in trouble. And we're actually going to talk about that in a minute. Um, and so they had to wait for him to die and then uh, the rest of them were able to finally move in across the Jordan and um, take the land of promise, right? But the problem is that, that, that in their movement toward that land and even when they got to that land, other people possessed it, right? Right? So there was constantly battles there were constantly wars that were going on and here they are on on the on the final leg of this long journey to possess the promised land and they're looking across the river and they send out a a party of spies. They sent out a church party to kind of get the goods on what exactly they're dealing with over there. And so they go into this place, which was called Jericho. It was Jericho before the Israelites got in there. Um, and it had a king, and there were a people there. And they go to the local brothel, because I guess that's a good place for Israeli spies to hang out. I don't know. They, they go here. I guess they thought they would be safe there, because nobody wants to, you know, obviously know who's there and who's not there uh so they go there in secret and and they meet Rahab who's an active prostitute at the time I mean that's what she's doing right um well word immediately gets out to the king of Jericho and he's like he sends immediately for Rahab and these men and so Rahab comes and no men and uh she's like what's up and he's like hey we heard these men like showed up at your joint uh where are they at who are these people? What are you doing? And she's like, ah, oh, they're already gone. Like they were in for a second, and, and now they're gone. So then she goes back. She goes up onto the rooftop where she's hiding them, and she, she figures out some kind of escape plan, some kind of Mission Impossible contraption to lower them off of the rooftop and get them out of there. And um, so she actually aids and embeds the enemy, right? And what it says there uh, in Joshua uh, chapter 2 is one of the things she looks at them in the eye and says as she's dropping them off the roof is, I know the Lord has given you this land. And my question is, how did she know that? Like, she's not one of them. She hadn't been traveling with them. Um, they, and and if, as you go on and read in Joshua chapter 2, you find that the whole world has heard of this God of the Israelites, right? Right? And some of them were scared, some of them were angry, some of them didn't care. But some people had faith. Some of them believed that this God is the one true God, the God of Israel. And Rahab was one of them. And because Rahab believed that God was giving them that land, she put her own life at risk to save theirs. Work because of her faith. Does that make sense? It's a good example. What's the conclusion according to James? I know we're moving through this fast. You'll see why in a second. Uh, The closing argument by James here in this section, uh, verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That's the conclusion. For as the body physically, apart from the spirit, which is our life force, is dead, so also faith, which is only spoken without works, which is action, is dead. That's basically what's being said here by James. That's the conclusion of everything that he's built here and talked about. So it's not, again, about what you profess. It's about what you possess. It's about what you actually have, what you actually own as a result of your profession that validates your profession. Right? And when you possess Jesus, the life giver, guess what comes out of you? Life. Life. When you, when you plant a plum tree, guess what's going to come out of the branches eventually? Right. Not apples, not pears, plums, because it's a plum tree. Right? It's the same way with our faith. When our faith is real and it's in Christ, the life giver Guess what's going to come out of us? Life. Not perfectly, not all the time, but it's going to it's going to grow on the branches here and there. You know what I'm saying? Um. Now I'm completely off. Oh no, I'm not. We're good. Now I don't want to. I don't want to be quite quite done with the examples here because there's something that's that's super cool. I think um, that we find throughout scriptures that goes right along, again, with everything that James is focusing on right now. And what I want you to do, I want us to look real quick at possibly the greatest compilation or catalog of, of, of people that live by faith and works that's ever been compiled. Uh, so turn back a couple of pages to your left to Hebrews chapter 11. Go there. Does anyone know what Hebrews chapter 11 is known as? Does anyone know what the nickname is? I know Peggy's going to ask. answer. Oh, Jordan's going. What is it, bro? Hall of Faith. We refer to Hebrews chapter 11 as the Hall of Faith, which kind of gives us this idea or this, this picture of, um, of walking through a museum that's, uh, that's dedicated, that's been erected and outfitted uh, for people of faith. And so that's really what chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is. It's a museum, of men and women of the faith over time, all right? And um, what I want you to notice as we as we scan this real quick, I want you to notice uh, or see if you notice a pattern, okay? So I'm just going to scan different areas. You can you can follow with me. Hebrews chapter 11, of course, we, we have to open it up the way that it's opened up. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for... By it, the people of old received their commendation. Boom. Okay. That sets the table right there for everything that's about to come, okay? For the museum now. All right. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go up to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise, uh, the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, shall your offspring be. And of course, we went through all this. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Can I say it that way? We're doing it. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, verse 31, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. It goes on and on and on. Do you guys see any kind of pattern with with each of those examples that we just now read through? Again, what do we refer to this chapter as? the hall of faith, we don't refer to it as the hall of works. And yet every single example that we just read contains an example of works by these people of faith. The author of Hebrews' choice of faith examples largely depict the works of those who had faith. Why? Because they're inseparable They're not different. They cannot be torn apart. They're not against each other. They're not even sometimes against each other. They're buddies. They go hand in hand. Where one exists, so does the other. Where faith is, so works will also be. That's what our Bibles teach us when we read it. That's what the examples and the characters in our Bibles teach us when we read it. Right? Not because works produce faith, but because faith produces works. What a great list of people here, by the way. I, I, um, I would strongly encourage you guys to take a walk through the entire museum um, one of these days. It's really good that the, the author here has compiled for us and and put on display. So what I want to do now is I want to just close with a couple of practical helps on the subject of faith and works because I think, again, that that we can... Isolating something like what James just gave us, we can like, do some serious damage with ourselves and with others as Christians if we don't keep it in its proper context. And so I want us to just consider a couple practical things. And the first one is this don't be reckless with your fruit inspector badge. Don't be reckless. Right? Because James is implying in this passage that we can look at ourselves and we can look at other Christians to see evidence of faith, which is true, right? But here's the catch. We must also understand that our examination of ourselves as well as others has its limitations. It has its limitations. Oftentimes the kind of works that accompany faith go well beyond what we're able to detect and judge through the little tiny imperfect microscope that we all walk around with to judge them by, right? We're all imperfect, We're all finite with our judgment calls. Amen? Or is there anyone here who knows how to judge right all the time? Didn't think so. We often judge things wrong, and we often judge the wrong things. Right? Just because, according to James, we can view evidences of faith and works doesn't mean that we judge them always in truth and in scope. How many of you have ever had a bad day? And I'm not talking about what other people did to you. I'm talking about you. Anyone ever been off their game? How many of you have ever had a bad week? How many of you have ever had a bad season in your Christian life, of life? What if that's the place that I examine you in and judge you according to, right? What would be my conclusion? On the other side of this coin, how many of you have come across very good people that have no idea who Jesus is in this world? People who are dedicating themselves to selfless acts of service to others people that put you and I as Christians to shame in the way that they live their life, what would your evaluation of that person be? Right? We need to be super careful with the way that we wield our judgment according to works or non-works. All Right. I don't think that's the, the main point of what James is trying to get across to us. And so we should be super careful. Um, the point is this, our judgment and our evaluation of people's works are limited and fallible, so we need to be really careful. We need to be really careful. Um, what's the saying, Hinds, hindsight's 2020, 20 right? Um, what do each of these examples that we looked at today um, have in common? They're all, for one, completed lives, right? At the, at the time of writing, at the time of them, the examples being used here, they're, com- they're completed, they're written. Um, and that's good uh, because if you were to see some of these names in their bad moments and their bad days, we probably would have misevaluated them, right? Like Abraham, who whored out his wife to Pharaoh for personal benefit and protection, to save his own skin. He gave his wife to another man and lied and said, Nah, that ain't my wife, that's my sister. Abraham. Father of the faith. Father of good works. Noah got so drunk one night that he took all his clothes off. Right, Moses, in his arrogance, disrespects God before the Israelites by striking the rock in anger as if it was by his power, as if it was by Aaron's power that they could threaten nations and people groups. Find that in Numbers 20. And by the way, that's the reason he was not allowed to see the Promised Land. The Israelites, they marched around a wall till it fell by faith like we saw here in Hebrews 11. But also on occasion, they were known to march around a golden calf because they had no faith in God at all or no patience for God or no commitment to God. See, if you, if you see somebody in the moment, we can get in big trouble. And I love that James doesn't let us do that with the examples he's using. He's actually teaching us by the examples that he gives that it's, it, it, the, the works that are produced by our faith are much more broad in scope, much more broad in the way they fill in our lives and travel across the span of our lives than you and I tend to connect them up. We must be, not be reckless with our fruit inspector's badge. We must be um, humble, helpful, hopeful first. Number two, this is actually homework. Create a list. Create a list, not so much of good acts that you have performed but of life-changing decisions you have made as a result of faith in God. You guys understand the difference? So not just, not just moments of morality, like you helped a lady across the street or you picked up a hitchhiker or, um, or, or you even gave your coat uh, uh, to, to someone who was cold, like James talked about earlier, but, but make a list of life, life-changing decisions that you have made as a result of your faith in God. This is what really James is shooting at here. Life choices and life decisions, um, more than just the moment of morality, um, as we spoke to um, just a minute ago. Um, and I, I thought about this, I sat down and I thought, well, if I'm given homework, I gotta be, obviously like think about this and be the first one to actually do it. And there were two, there were two of them that, that immediately came to mind. When me and Carrie were younger, we were on, I think, uh, Ty was being born. We had just had Ty, so our third child. And uh, our our older two children were getting ready to go to school, like the school thing was about to happen. My wife had a good job. It was a solid job. It was a secure job. It was good pay. It was benefits. It was all those things um, that we, we put at the top of the pyramid, right? And I had just bought this chimney business. Um, which was completely seasonal, completely unknown. I had no idea what I was doing. Like there was nothing secure at all about what I had just gotten into. And the Lord at this, this time had come to kind of both of us and said, I don't want you sending your kids off to school Um, uh, I don't want someone else raising them by babysitting them every day anymore Um, we have responsibility um, to uh, raise our kids in life and educate our kids and and we're going to make this call and we talked to some other godly people our pastor at the time none of it added up on paper none of it made any sense because what we were saying is she's going to quit her job the only thing that gave us security my wife was going to was going to quit And there was, there was, there was nothing ahead of, ahead of us that we could put our finger on and say, we're going to be okay. Nothing. But we did it. And the reason why we did it is because we believed the promises of God with us as parents to our kids. We believed that, that this is what he would really want above us being healthy, wealthy, wise, secure, right? And so we did it by faith. Um, And it changed things. It was one of the hardest things that we ever did. And we struggled, you know what I mean? We struggled for years, but it didn't matter because God proved to honor our decision. We never ever had to sleep out on a street corner. We never didn't have food in our cupboards, right? And we got to raise our kids and have wonderful, wonderful Um, relationships and times with our kids that that we would never have been able to get back we we took on the responsibility that God wanted us to parent our kids and we trusted him in it and he proved to be faithful in it right so that that was a life-changing decision based on faith that took a work it took works right works came out of it but but because we believed That was a life-changing decision due to our faith with God. The other one that was obvious is when we planted this place, when we planted not the lapine one but the door 10 years ago. Because I was a a fairly young guy. I know you wouldn't know it by looking at me now, but um, I'm like the president when he goes into office and then you see him like two years later, you know, like just beat up and jacked up and like aged 20 years. But um, anyway, when we went to plant that, we had nothing We had no Antioch, we had no treasure chest of money, we had no mothership, we had no advertisement, we had nothing. All we knew is that God was calling us to start a ministry in a dark spot on the map that did not have a church. The first four years of that, the pastors that were there, none of them took a dime. In fact, we were the ones that actually made sure that the light stayed on every week. The pastors were actually the ones... Paying into the box. And I'm not telling you any of this, obviously, to boast. I'm telling you again for the point of there, is life cha- there was a life-changing uh, decision that had to happen based upon faith. If we did not have faith in God that he was going to do this thing, there is no way that we would have stepped out and done this. We were losing money by doing this. All of us worked real jobs. We were all bivocational at the time, Right? So it wasn't about how secure can we be? What does our safety net look like? What's my future going to look like? No. It was just like, God, you're actually inviting us to the ball. Like, I'm happy to be here. It was like Willy Wonka, you know, handing you a bar with the golden ticket. Like I, like, I get to go to the factory. You know what I mean? It wasn't about, like, what I get. It wasn't about that. It was just that we were just so blown away that God would allow us into the factory. To work for him, to do something for him. And none of it made any sense on paper when we did it. None of it. People on the outside would have looked at what we were doing at that time and said, that's just not a very smart life decision. And it's like, unless you believe God's true, unless you believe God's real, unless you believe that God matters in this life more than anything else in this life, then yeah, it's pretty stupid. Make a list of the life-changing decisions that you've made as a result of your faith in God. And see what you come up with. See what you come up with. Um, And then finally, uh, the last thing I want to make sure that we know loud and clear is that we need to rely daily on the necessity that Jesus is our greatest work. Jesus is our greatest work. Every time. There is no competition here. Is that true for you? Is Jesus a get-out-of-jail-free card? Or is He your everything? Because without Him, you know you're nothing. You know you have nothing. Because the truth is this, guys. There's going to be many times in our lives, in the life of the believer, when your works run out. When you don't have any. Where they will not be evident. Where they will not be strong, they will not be found. When you have none to see and other people have none to see. When they look at you. When you're an absolute mess and you know it. When there's no gas that's left in the tank, then what? Then where do you go? Then what do you do? What does that mean? What does a work as a result of your faith look like then? It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Down to the core, are you desperate for him? Are you lost without him? I love the picture in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, where Jesus is like talking to a group of disciples and he's talking about, you know, unless you, he's talking about what they thought was like being a cannibal, you know, like unless you like consume my flesh and you drink my blood, like you can have no part of me right and it says that many of his disciples went away that day because the hearing was too hard never to return and follow him again and yet then he looks at the ones that remain and he says are you guys going to go too and Peter looks at him and he's like where else where else can we go you alone have the words of life do you know that Do you know that in your life when you have nothing? And the reason why that's so significant to me that that Peter says that, this simple profession of um, dependence and need, is because in that moment, Peter had nothing to offer Jesus. He had nothing that he could do and nothing that he could give and nothing that he could perform. There was no work, just a profession that would either prove itself out or sink him. And you know what's rad? Many days later in the future, that profession of Peter's would blossom into God-glorifying works as one of the church's biggest dudes. Our greatest work is Jesus, and we need to make sure that we know that it is enough. It is real, if it's real. Because if it's real, he will be faithful to fill the tank of works. You guys understand that? If what you have with Christ is real, he will be faithful to fill the tank with works. Um, Listen to this in closing real quick. And I know, again, we, we said this earlier, but I want to add a verse to this. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. I want to add 10 to it now, okay? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are declared righteous and justified by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. If it's real, God's going to gift us with the faith, a saving faith that's accompanied by a gift of saving works that he's prepared for us to walk in, which is kind of exciting if you think about it. You know what I mean? It's kind of neat to not have to sit on the sidelines for God to know that he's, he hasn't just saved me so that I could have my, my ticket to heaven and then I sit around and wait, but that he's that he's saved us to actually come to the factory. To suit up and work in his service not because of what we can get back but because of who he is and what he's already done for us lord thank you for this text thank you for james thank you for the heart of james um, towards uh, these people here um, which uh, means just as much for us here today i pray for anyone who's been struggling uh, with with the balance uh, the clarity on this doctrine and this subject or this text that you would grant them clarity, that they may be fully assured and, and fully confident in, uh, in, in how it is that you save us and what it is that you bring out of that. And we thank you for all of it. We give you credit for all of it. You alone, God, 100% are the reason why we are um, clean, holy, righteous, sinless, accepted. It's all you and none of us. And we believe that, we receive that.